Welcome to the panel discussion, The Journey to Technology Modernization in Government, sponsored by PEGA. Here's today's moderator, Jason Miller. Welcome to the discussion. My guests today are Harry Singh, the Chief Information Officer at the Bureau of Engraving and Printing at the Treasury Department, and Don Sherman, the Chief Technology Officer and Vice President of Product Marketing at Pega Systems. Harry, Don, welcome to the discussion. Well, thanks, Jason. Before we get started, let me set some context for our discussion. Agencies are under ever-increasing pressure to deliver outcomes and improve citizen services. Therefore, agencies need to develop new capabilities rapidly and be flexible to meet changing user needs as they tackle the government's most complex modernization challenges. So how can agencies be agile, flexible, and secure? What are some low risk and innovative modernization approaches? Well, one common approach that we've seen over the last few years take hold is the concept of DevOps or now DevSecOps. The idea is that agencies are continually developing and integrating new services while using automation to secure the code and data. The latest data from the Office of Management Budget shows agencies are making progress in moving toward this agile goal. The administration says about 56% of all major IT products are using iterative or agile methodology for projects worth about $39 billion. That leaves about 44% either stuck in the waterfall technique, about $17 billion, or undefined by the agency, about $27 billion. Now, despite this move to agile or iterative development, agencies are, are taking, on average, more than 400 days to complete a project. One way to speed up delivery is through the use of automation and the application of robotics, artificial intelligence, and machine learning. A 2018 IBM Center for the Business of Government report says the adoption of AI systems represents an opportunity to take a serious look at the current IT infrastructure and to think holistically about modernization efforts. The authors state, through AI and cognitive computing, agencies will be able to augment their capabilities of their workforce by processing and learning from large amounts of disparate data across different systems in near real time. These systems also will be able to collect and interact with citizens and employees through natural language processing. Cognitive systems will also allow public agencies to free up their workforce from tasks that are ripe for automation due to their structure and predictable nature. The end result, the authors say, is AI systems will enable agencies to increase the speed at which transactions are processed by reprioritizing the assignment of tasks between humans and machines. And all of this, hopefully, will lead to better, faster, hopefully cheaper, citizens and mission partners services. So in that context in place, let's turn to our panel. Harry Singh, again, the CIO at the Bureau of Engraving and Printing at the Treasury Department, and Don Sherman, the Chief Technology Officer and Vice President of Product Marketing at Pega Systems. Harry, let me start with you. Talk a little bit about the IT modernization approach that you guys are using at, at Treasury and, and more specifically Bureau of Engraving and Printing. So the BEP is really one of the very few manufacturing agencies, uh, Jason, within the government space. So that results in sort of a hybrid of business systems, industrial control, scalar systems. So then, then we're really working towards in two, two life cycles. You know, one's a technology life cycle, which is your typical three to five year cycle. Then you have your industrial control SCADA cycle, which is about 20 to 25, 30 year cycle. So to balance that, on the business side, really our approach is really to get our stakeholders engaged. So, uh, you know, my team actually established a partnership council you know, which was really to engage users in the planning phase. You know, how do we really not really hone in a technical change, but to get their buy-in to help us prioritize what the business needs are. And then we'll actually, you know, take the principles of DevOps and change management to really, for a quicker delivery. You know, really, I, I wouldn't say that we had agile methodology. I would say we are sort of hybrid agile, you know. So, we, but we've moved away from the waterfall. So which the Partnership Council has been really successful overall. And on the infrastructure side, you know, our approach is how do you really reduce the technical debt and get rid of the legacy components. So that's where you know, we, we engage the vendors in you know, as, and get engaged as part of the acquisitions process to really uh, reduce the technical debt and the legacy components from the enterprise. It's interesting you bring up both sides, both SCADA and uh, IT and OT as it's commonly referred, and, and they're very different, but as OT kind of IT bleeds into OT, that creates another challenge as well. And I imagine that's why you went down that path of the Partnership Council. Absolutely. I mean, that's overall in the change management, you know, one of the challenges is really user adaption, right? To uh, make the adaption easier, it's always good, I believe, and we believe as a team, that the stakeholder engagement from the beginning is important. I think, I think that's, that, that's a huge point. And one of the things that we've seen, both in the government sector and in the commercial sector, that is, a way to ensure that Agile becomes successful is the closer you bring the business stakeholder into the actual development and Agile sprint process, right? So we work with a uh, non-governmental agency actually in Australia, 
And they have implemented a, a basically a case management program that's working across a variety of agencies inside the Australia government, basically around managing uh, offenders coming out of prison and helping to ensure that these people actually get put on a path so they don't get back into prison. Complex process to deal with. They have to get a whole bunch of agencies bought in to really use this centralized case management system. And they were really struggling with one agency getting buy-in. And what they finally got was agreement from the CIO of that agency to come to the Sprint stand-up every morning for 15 minutes a day. And by actually having the CIO, the business stakeholder for the agency involved, send a huge message to everybody else on the team, right, that this, this wasn't something that was going to be done to them, but this was something that everybody needed to be participating in. And they instantly started getting much more progress. They were actually able to roll out a version of the software in a couple of weeks once they got that done. So that, that buy-in and making sure that your key stakeholders are on the team, you know, as much through the process as you can, I think is hugely important. I think another thing you touched upon was that I talked about the stakeholder engagement, but it's also the leadership buy-in. Yeah. So that's, if you get, you know, our, as we moved and transitioned to more sort of a data-driven organization, that leadership buy-in from our director, Len, Olier, Len Olier, you know, was key. You know, he talked about at the town hall meeting, you know, where, you know, across three shifts, and that really, the message really gets into our stakeholders, users, and they were a lot more engaged. It's interesting, it seems so simple, right? Get the stakeholders, the people who are gonna use the technology, the people who are part of it, get the leadership, and then we're all good to go. So maybe, Don, talk a little bit about, if you can, what you're seeing when you talk to your federal customers. If it's so easy, then why is it so hard? Right, so I think, I think there are a couple of things that make it challenging. One is, you know, there is a lot of legacy technology in the federal government, right? There's lots of technology that needs to be modernized, that doesn't have the friendly API cloud services world, right? And, and so much of what people are seeing on the leadership level is this vision of a perfectly orchestrated set of APIs, which is really hard to do when you got a bunch of mainframes, right, where the only way to get at it is through a green screen. So there's, there's, a, there's a technology challenge there. Um, but there's also a real sort of cultural shift that needs to happen inside a lot of these agencies in order to drive that. One is embracing Agile, right? And, and it's, it's one thing to say, hey, we're gonna do Agile development. It's another thing to actually put the Agile teams in place and build that cadence and that, that cycle. You know, the things that I've seen work, both in the federal and in the uh, commercial space, is organizations doing, and they're simple things, but they, they involve a little bit of risk taking. Go take somebody off the floor, somebody who actually does the work day to day, and put them on the Agile team. You know, bring them not, you know, bring them in and say, look, you're going to learn a little bit about how we're developing this, this new application or developing this new, and you're going to be a daily contributor to that work. And now what you start doing is you start bringing that day-to-day -day experience from the end user viewpoint into it. That person also becomes your champion and your conduit back to the, to the rest of the user population, and you're doing something good, which is you're actually helping an individual develop a new career opportunity for themselves. So there's 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 win-win across a lot of this, but it takes making some of these pretty big sort of concrete moves in order to get it done. So I think, you know, when you talk about IT modernization and automation, IT modernization is something CIO can drive. Yep. And when it comes to automation, that's really, really everything relates to process. So that's where the user engagement really comes into play. And uh, Don, on that point, you know, with our partnership council, which we established, we actually established 18 month roadmap. And the 18 month roadmap is not uh, an IT driven, it's, it's user driven. That's great. So that's, uh, you know, that's been quite successful. Let's, since you brought up automation, let's go down that path a little bit. How is automation starting to play a role in the Bureau of Engraving and Printing? I think it, it's really a foundation, you know. On the business side, you know, we're looking at laser-guided vehicles. You know, as you move currency, you know, within the facility across different production phases, and then people are looking at process robotics on the business side, right? Instead of mundane, you know, day-to-day -day tasks, individual tasks, and then you know, us, we're leveraging cloud, which is a, a quicker delivery. And not only you know, user when they get engaged, they always want some tangible benefit. You know, what's in it for me? <laughs> That's the only reason they're going to be engaged. You know. 
So with our partnership council, as I was talking about, uh, we'll have periodic meetings just to make sure to reassess the priorities and have the users talk among themselves. You know, we have manufacturing, SCADA, engineering teams. So they actually come to the table, have a dialogue, and reassess the priorities and tell us you know, what, what, do they really, what, what the needs are. On our end, you know, it's really to use the agile methodology, the DevOps principles, to get the proof of concept established and really de demonstrate the reiterations of the work we developed. So that's, that's been really successful overall. When you, when you start talking automation, I mean, people think of robots, right? Well, a robot's gonna take my job, and it's, it's a common, it's funny to talk about, but it's also a common fear. So does that, bringing the users in and, and having the technology people there, does that kind of alleviate some people, people kind of get, get that grasp of, okay, when we talk automation, it's this mundane thing that I do over and over and over again, I no longer have to do. Do they get that or do you have to show them? What, what gets over the hump, I guess? I, I think, you know, uh, I, you know my, this is my responsibility, right? And when users see automation, they do, there's always sort of a threat feeling, yeah, right? Yeah. You, know, you know, what happens to my job? Right. You know, if you're going to get the laser guy, the vehicles, now I take a forklift to move the currency, what's going to happen, right? But when you engage them and they see the process enhancements, and, you know, and it's not that, that the, the, the position or the job goes away, it's really transitions over. So then you leverage the change management to make sure that you have proper training and delivery so they understand. It's not about their uh, process or automation which may result in a, a position or a skill set going away, but they may need to work on the skill set. So there may be a, a competency building or training which they take and the role shifts. I think there's also, you know, leveraging so we, you know, in, in, in our world, we're not building laser-guided vehicles from a robot perspective. But did, that'd be freaking cool. I'd be able to explain to my wife and my kids what I actually do. Um, but, but the 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 ability to use software robots, robotic process automation, where we've seen the fastest success with the least cultural pushback, is thinking about robotic process automation not as a let's throw a bunch of robots in a data center somewhere to replace a human, but let's look at the day-to-day -day experience of a user managing a slew of different legacy systems that they need to tab between, and how can I give that user a robot as an assistant to make it so that the mundane stuff of copying and pasting from this app over here to this app over there goes away. So we've had a lot of success at CMS using robots to drive uh, claim processing and take some of the manual steps out of that. You know, we put in robotics at the contact center of a major telecommunications company, and we, initial phase, we rolled this out in a couple of weeks, we had robots that did two things. The robot logged the people into the 10 systems they need to log into in the morning, which took about 10 minutes, and every time they got to the end of the call, instead of them having to tab and put notes in a whole bunch of different systems so they knew what had happened on the call, the robot collected all that information and automatically pushed it out, right? And the great thing about that was when those robots went live, the users in the floor of the contact center literally stood up and clapped <laughs> because it wasn't a, hey, we're going to replace you. It's, no, we're going to let you focus and listen to your consumer or your constituent in a way that you never have before because we're taking away all this painful, mundane, navigate the system stuff that you don't want to do. I think that's a, that's a huge point, taking away the painful mundaneness. So I remember there's a... a an example came out from a general services administration. They talked about the CFO's office, very similar, where they talked about the transactions. And, and this is just the same transactions over and over and over again. And when I mean, they could get, they, they started with one robot, and then they, okay, let's add five robots. And then all of a sudden, the RPA just, there's, there's more demand than there is supply in many ways. So are you seeing that from your customers? Because having covered this market for 20 years now, which is, you know, uh, I've seen a lot of change, but I don't think anything's gotten picked up like RPA has. At least it feels that way. Yeah, I think I think it's because there there are a couple of things about it that make it. One is it goes it goes fast. The impact is visible. I think a lot of it because RPA interfaces directly at the desktop and bypasses things like APIs and service level interfaces. It's much more accessible to the business to be able to just say, well, I'll describe what a user does on the desktop, and then I'll put a, a robot in. A robot in to do it. I think there's a there's a there's a thing though that I want organizations to be careful about. We we love robotics. We're doing robotics at, at a number of agencies, but I also think it can't replace the broader end-to-end -end thinking 
about user and citizen and constituent experiences, right? So there is huge gains to be made sort of inside of silos and insides of systems of providing more efficiency, taking away mundane tasks. But I also think it's really important as agencies think more long-term about their digital transformation to think about the end-to-end -end constituent experiences which might involve orchestrating a couple of robots, as well as some human work, as well as five other different systems, and building that end-to-end -end user experience, because that's ultimately where, both from a user and from a constituent perspective, you actually can, can not just drive efficiency, but you can actually drive a much better experience. Harry, Don brings up a very interesting point, uh, and, it, and it gets to kind of this idea of a, a pilots and, and low risk and, and try it out and see how it goes. Are you guys there yet? Have you guys started to, to do some tests with automation? Again, I know you could be anything from the laser guided currency mover to more of the business on the business side. Yeah, but I think as I mentioned earlier, you know, uh, the proof of concepts which we create, it's, it's always good to create a proof of concept because overall it reduces risk. And then you're able to really prove it. You know, is it going to be successful within the agency or not? So with the proof of concept, it's really helped us to sort of a break point. Is it going to assist us? Is it going to be help us with the uh, sort of change management user adaption? So, so we, we do that currently. And other thing which has worked is really providing the data, the right data to the right people. You know, that's at our user stakeholders. You know, before our SCADA or manufacturing or engineering, you know, there have been silos looking at their, their, only their data. But when you share the enterprise data with them, you know, which is across the enterprise, they're able to correlate the data. So if it's uh, you know, looking at temperature data, humidity data, you know, within a section, how does it impact the production process or the paper itself? You bring up data, that's actually a great point. Maybe we'll get that in the next segment, but let's take a quick break. You're listening to The Journey to Technology, Modernization, and Government, sponsored by PEGA on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. High-risk programs, information silos, and disconnected government experiences are a thing of the past. PEGA transforms your organization from digital chaos to streamlined digital automation. PEGA's no-code software includes artificial intelligence, robotic automation, and a unified government-ready platform. PEGA empowers your employees, streamlines your operations, and delivers personalized experiences to the right people at the right time. Now that's digital transformation done right. Learn more at pega.com government. Welcome back. You're listening to The Journey to Technology, Modernization, and Government, sponsored by PEGA on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today, Harry Singh, the Chief Information Officer at the Bureau of Engraving and Printing at the Treasury Department, and Don Sherman, the Chief Technology Officer and Vice President of Product Marketing at PEGA. Before break, we just started to get down the path of data, and really, in many ways, data is key to everything agencies do. I mean, I, I, every conversation I have with a CIO or IT executive or acquisition person, it all comes back to the data. So let me start with Don. When we talk about automation, we talk about IT modernization, it, it's come, a lot of this comes back to knowing what data you have, where to find it, and how to use it. So we're going to get to the how to use it first, but talk maybe about the, the where to find it and knowing what you have. Yeah, I think, I think that there's, there, there are a couple of pieces of how that, that plays into automating, for example, a process or a constituent journey, right? And, and the first is understanding from that process perspective where that data needs to be. You know, one of the things that we've worked with, with agencies to do as you take this kind of agile approach to doing things is rather than starting with the data necessarily and working back, which can lead to these big sort of master data management programs, which, which I have found to be huge investments that actually deliver very little value at the end of it. Instead, start with what's the process? What am I trying to accomplish? And if you can go and look at a piece of completed work, right? So we're working with DISA on the National Background Investigation System. What does a background check when it's been completed look like? Right? We're doing that work, we know what that looks like. Right, what was the data that needed to be provided in order to get that work done, and where did we need to source that? Right? So now I can build an underlying data model that's abstracted from the underlying legacy, but represents the data that needs to be in place in order for me to get a piece of work done. And then I build the work process 
to optimize for the user experience, for the experience of the person actually going through the background check, et cetera, and I pull in the data as needed to drive that process forward. But really starting with the process or the journey first and looking at the data that's needed is sometimes a great, a great way to avoid the sort of, you know, frankly, analysis paralysis of, we've got to get all of our data fixed before we can do anything, right? So. And just to add to that, <clears throat> you know, a lot of the users tend to look at the data in their silo. Yep. You know, what is my function? So the approach we took uh, on, on the process side, Don, was a really uh, first, how do we get users off sort of Excel spreadsheets, right? You know, so, to, so they understand about the data trends. Yep. So they can just focus on this is the data I need to make a better decision to create the historical trends. Then we educated this, uh, with the Partnership Council we established a data governance council too, and sort of community of analytics of practice within the BEP. And we got the right tools in, yeah. you know, we were tool agnostic. You know, if users wanted Tableau, SAS, Jump, Minitab, we got the licenses we need. So, this, uh, so providing the right, one thing is to provide the right data to the right people, other is really providing the tools for them to be able to make sense of the data. So that, once we, uh, you know, established that, then the second piece was really correlation of the data to educate them further on that. And then we really saw you know, uh, quite a bit participation in sort of where you know, technology is honed in and you may not see the user base come to in a training class. So the user is a lot more engaged and they knew that the data, with the right data, they can actually make better data-driven decisions overall. I don't want to go too down, far down this path, but diff, multiple tools. You say your tool agnostics, whatever tool they wanted, but don't you end up with my tool treats my data differently than your tool? Is, is there an interoperability issue that easily solved? Because if you're using a taxonomy, if, you're, if we're all standardized, then the tool is, sec, is really behind the scenes. Sure, so, so uh, just adding on to it, you know, on, the, on the enterprise side, we establish a data lake, a Hadoop environment. So that's something we manage. But on the data analysis, you know, folks are comfortable on the tools that they use. You know, whether it's Excel, Access, or Tableau, or SAS, or Minitab, or Jump. And, but our objective there was, regardless of the tool you use to analyze the data, but the report is going to get published at the enterprise. Okay. So it's shared across the enterprise. So that data like creates that standard that it wouldn't matter what tool you're using. Okay. Because yep. I think I just hear multiple tools and people, I can imagine people go, oh no, here we go. The, that everyone has their own, everyone's snowflake, right? The, sure, we've heard that sure. before. I think, there's also, I think there's also, as you think about taking data and actually getting it to the point that you can answer the questions about automation, right? Because I think a lot of this is, how do I find the places where I can automate? There are two things that we've seen be, be really powerful. One is actually using robotics to do a little bit of data collection. Um, because I think there's a lot of blind spots in organizations and agencies about how much users struggle with technology, right? And you can actually use robotics to begin to collect what systems users are using in real time to get work done. And that can actually help you find, like, here are the, here are the actual, you know, boy, if I can eliminate the need for this system, or if I can build a robot that connects these two things, or man, we see people copying and pasting from this system to this system 80 times a day. Let's automate that. It helps you find some of those blind spots. I think the other thing, one of the, the things that we always say from a case management, which is really that end-to-end -end management of a piece of work perspective, is when you go into the first phase, operating a, a, a mindset of what you can easily automate, automate, what you can easily guide a user to do, consistently guide a user to do, and what you can't do either for at least track. Because I think there's also um, a missing area sometimes in the data of how the work actually needs to move between different systems and different silos. And having a layer that's actually seeing, here's all the handoffs that need to happen, then provides further de detail into subsequent phases of the process oh boy, we could automate this a lot more. Or man, there's a real communication challenge between these two groups. How do we go fix that? Do you get it? Oh, go ahead, Harry. Other piece, just one is the data. Other is really the transparency across it. So what we did was, you know, part of the data governance is really focused on performance management. Yep. How do we work with 
not only internal within the CIO directorate, but also on the business side, is to establish those KPIs, yeah. the metrics. So not only for you know, our support organization and delivery, but also on supporting our mission. Uh, so we're working on a yearly currency order dashboard so that visualization is there, how are we meeting? Yeah. You know, so monthly reporting. Well, and, and, and one of the big, you know, the, the, the things that happens in, to take this specifically to the, the world of software development, one of the big things that happens when, when you make this shift to Agile is your developers and your Agile teams become hungry for data about the actual development process, right? So you start talking about things like, what's my test, how are my test cases running? How do my test cases run tonight? What have been my rates of deployment? When did I make my last deployment? What portion of my code base is ready to deploy versus what portion isn't? And that's another place where pushing that transparency out. You, know, you go into good agile organizations and they have dashboards all over the walls that are showing the engineers the sort of results of the testing. And to me, that's a great example of you've built this culture of transparency that keeps everybody honest and everybody sort of growing in the same direction of what you're trying to do. Harry, you brought up an interesting point of performance management, and I think that's the next discussion around data. I want to go down that path because it's one thing to find the data and know that's the right data, but how do you use the data? And I think this can lead uh, to smart decision making. I think part of what IT modernization, one of the kind of longer term goals for IT modernization is, is not just to have better systems, but better systems that can lead to better decision making. So are you guys starting to see that, okay, what data that you're focused on and how to use that data in a way that can alleviate some pain points or to give your leadership, because we brought that up in the beginning of the conversation, uh, better tools to make decisions that can affect the entire Bureau of Engraving Printing. Yeah, but I think, uh, you know, on, on the technology side, we are governed, you know, by the compliance and regulatory requirements. So there's enough reporting. You know, it could be <laughs> yeah. from cyber side, could be from, you know, our IT ops, data center, foot, you know, footprint reduction, all that. But internally, you know, on the data side, I talked about earlier was, providing the right data to the right people. Second is really to have them trust and confidence in data. So internally, we, we got an enterprise data quality product you know, to, so that uh, uh, we can analyze the data, identify anomalies, so there's, there's better reporting, so data quality and integrity improves, so users have actually trust in data. And the last piece was, okay, now we're actually using the data, making sense out of the data, reporting is there, now, how do we work with our user base to develop those KPIs and metrics? And now they have confidence in data, so they're transparent, so the data sharing occurs across the enterprise. So then, you know, there, there may be a, a business function who's not on board yet, so when they see the transparency, they do tend to get on board to say, can you help us build us in our dash dashboard for our directorate? Right. So that's been very successful. And I think a great example of this, this idea of, of collecting the data and then understanding the data and using the data is the continuous diagnostics and mitigation, the CDM program. I know that's a cyber discussion, but there, those dashboards are released at every agency. And now if there's a problem with a cyber problem, the head of the agency can see, wow, this is all red. We got to do something about this right. versus before, which was, hey, the patch on this thing and, and this do hickey with the widget thing and the, the, you've lost the leadership. So Don, jump in a little bit and, yeah, and talk about the data piece. And so I think, I think there, there, there are a couple of things that, that's also really important. And part of this is a, is, is a cultural understanding and a skill set that we need to teach our employees how data is used to make decisions. Because I actually don't think it's a natural, there's a reason why most people don't make it through statistics classes in college, right? Because it's hard and it can be kind of obtuse. But there's, there's, a, there's a difference between what I would call deterministic decision-making. And deterministic decision-making tends to be pretty rule-based, right? I don't need data. I don't need data to tell me what documents I need to collect in order to do a background check because there are actual federal regulations that are written and all I need to do is take that regulation, put it into my system, make sure my system follows the rules, right? That's deterministic. Data only will ever get you to probabilistic. Data takes you to propensities. It says there's a likelihood that this will happen. There's a potential that this will happen. And you can get pretty high propensity in that likelihood, right? You know, Google can identify that this is a picture of a kid with a bike because it's got massive amounts of photographic data that it uses to say, you know, this is a picture of a kid with a bike. 
the thing to keep in mind is if Google gets that wrong, it just means your photo is misidentified, right? I haven't, I haven't broken somebody's life. I haven't made a, a, a horrific mistake. So people need to understand how that propensity impacts data and where are the places inside the, the journey and inside the agency where propensity-based decision-making is great, right? So especially when you think about how you engage with con constituents, you can use propensity data to recommend things that they might need help with, to help the service agent guide them through a, a particular story in a great way. But there are also places where I still want that propensity to go to an accountable human being who will ultimately make the decision based not only on that data, but their history, their experience, their understanding. And I know, I, I, I know who made that decision and why. So I think, I think there's also getting people to really understand that and understand it's not that we all need to be data scientists, but we do in this data world need to be hiring and bringing on people who are data savvy and who understand what that really means. I think uh, uh, you touched upon uh, the probability piece. I see that uh, sort of artificial intelligence, yeah. you know, which, which comes into play yeah. to, uh, for in the Google example for the decision. Yeah. Uh, internally, you know, we leverage data on historic trends, yeah. for example, right? Uh, for our spare parts, for machine maintenance. So if I can look at the trends, see this part broke, you know, within the six months. And then the uh, EM, who's really looking for that spare part to be ordered, yep. you know, he can work with acquisitions. We establish automated processes where it's min-max. So if it goes above certain threshold, mm -hmm. automatically create, create a requisition. Well, and you can, and so. you can build a, you can actually build an analytical model that says at this probability of failure, knowing this cost to replace versus this cost for break fix, right? I can now make a pretty mathematical calculation that my cost overall will reduce if I do, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm, you know, replace at this point in the life cycle, right? So that's, but that, that's, that takes that understanding of, here's what the data is showing us probabilistically, here's how I align that with a business outcome and actually get to a decision. So, so Harry, are you guys actually doing that for spare parts right now? I mean, it's, it's a, I don't know if you use AI and the, 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 if it, it's considered our, the, the true meaning of AI, but it's a AI hybrid of sorts. So it's like, I, I'd say it's, a, it's sort of a data analytics. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll just stay away from artificial intelligence, right? AI is a marketing term that we, the software industry, my apologies to everybody, have slapped on a whole bunch of technologies, some of which have been around for 40, 50 years in terms of data analytics, and some of which like you know, deep learning and image recognition have been enabled by cloud computing and, and some new algorithms. but. But you know, a lot of that, that, I would avoid that sort of AI term because it creates a lot of you know, fear and sturm and drang versus, no, you can use data and analysis to make really good decisions if you use it in the right way. And that's what goes back to, I mean, I think a lot of this is what you're talking about is predictive analytics, yeah. which is something we've seen for years, and, but it's easier now because of the technologies that are available, not just the tools, but you mentioned the cloud, which we always have to mention yeah. the cloud, but also people's understanding of what the, what the art of the possible is. I think people's understanding, and I also think that, there's, that part of it is the continual movement of those tools out of a realm of specialization. Right. And you, oh, I need a statistician to go figure out my predictive model into, no, 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 let me show to a data savvy business person or a data savvy leader what the indication in the trend is and then give them the tools to turn that into something actionable. And you also have a generation of people who grew up, I want to say our generation of people who grew up uh, with technology so we're not, whoa, whoa, what? what? Yeah. Like, I, like, I, like we sit down and we learn technology. So if you tell me, okay, here's a tool, here's Tableau, use it, or here's another data tool, use yes. it, okay, I can probably do that. I mean, Harry, is, is that, do you find people that are, are in that world excited to be able to, okay, I can use this data and make educated decisions? Like, are, is, that, is that something that's happening you're seeing? Yeah, I, mean, I think you know, the education and awareness uh, is key part of our, sort of as we modernize and automate. Uh, with that, you know, uh, so a user you know, always approaches what's in for me. So when they come in, and that's, as I mentioned earlier, you know, the uh, community of analytics of practice, uh, we conducted not only the training for these different tools, but also analytics day. So where we had vendors come in, yeah. internally from our directorate, yep. you know, we'll have use case scenarios, specifically targeted, depending on who's attending our session. So they actually see the, they, you know, sense the business aspect and how it's going to help them. 
So that's been very successful overall, you know, with, the, with that engagement. Uh, when they, and then they, they, they actually decide, you know, uh, I really want, can you, can I play with Tableau license, you know, versus SAS for those. So that's really been helpful. And the thought is, is you don't know what you don't know until someone shows me. So it's, I think it's awesome that you guys are doing industry days because I, I don't know that exists. But let's take a quick break and come back. We can continue our conversation. You're listening to the Journey to Technology Modernization in Government, sponsored by PEGA on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. High-risk programs, information silos, and disconnected government experiences are a thing of the past. PEGA transforms your organization from digital chaos to streamlined digital automation. PEGA's no-code software includes artificial intelligence, robotic automation, and a unified government-ready platform. PEGA empowers your employees, streamlines your operations, and delivers personalized experiences to the right people at the right time. Now that's digital transformation done right. Learn more at pega.com slash government. Welcome back. You're listening to the Journey to Technology Modernization and Government, sponsored by Pega on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today, Harry Singh, the Chief Information Officer at the Bureau of Engraving and Printing at the Treasury Department, and Don Sherman, the Chief Technology Officer and Vice President of Product Marketing at Pega. Gentlemen, before break, we were talking about data and the importance of data and I think, Harry, you brought this up just, just briefly, so let's go down that path of compliance and how understanding the data, knowing what rules and regulations you have to follow, automation can really help with that compliance piece. And imagine at the Bureau of Engraving and Printing, because you both have IT systems, but you also have OT systems, those regulations, those compliance issues are, are maybe even uh, deeper that you have to kind of follow. So are you starting to apply some automation or what do you see as the potential for automation to, to meet those compliance uh, challenges? So uh, a few years ago, BEP actually established, uh, stood up a, a quality directorate. You know, the focus there was uh, compliance on the quality side. You know, on the business side, obviously there is a requirement as it relates to compliance with our currency order. You know, uh, specific spoilage thresholds. You know, product quality overall. So us working in conjunction with our stakeholders, and I, as I mentioned, with the data analytics community of practice, we really brought the user community in so they can make sense of data, correlate data across our different production phases, SCADA, manufacturing, engineering, uh, to make better sense of data, which results in uh, streamlined data-driven decisions. So that not only re re results in reduction of production cost, better product quality, so that's on the business side. On the IT side, with our move and overall OMB's cloud strategy to stay in compliance there, you know, we've migrated uh, more uh, to the cloud to reduce the overall data center footprint reduction. So, uh, and as I mentioned earlier, with the modernization and establishing those proof of concepts and getting a user community engaged, so that results in reduction of delivery uh, to the enterprise. So, uh, so that's a quicker delivery compliance. But then with the cloud itself, uh, you know, uh, the cyber requirements, you know, do we really have a, uh, the, the servers we provision, you know, we don't need to, right? Uh, because with cloud, you know, we can easily provision server. So that, that really streamlines the whole DevOps. So that, you know, uh, I think both IT modernization automation has res resulted in significant you know, help with overall the compliance regulatory requirements. So, so Harry, I just want to first thank you for teaching me a new term because the next time I try to shove an old dollar bill into a Coke machine, I'm going to think about currency spoilage. <laughs> um, but, 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 but I think the, I think the other place that 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 you get um, you can think about compliance in terms of automation is automation, and especially automation that works sort of end to end from a case management perspective, can really help ensure compliance. Right, so PEGA, we work with the Treasury uh, Department with TCIS, which is the, the check information system. So we basically process all the checks that come through the Treasury. And a lot of that is around when check exceptions happen, making sure that we're auditing every step of how that exception got fixed so that we can go and play back and say, yep, we followed all the rules and we did it in the right time frames. We work with a lot of banks and around what's called KYC, which is the know your customer process they have to go through to prove back to the government that they are actually doing the right validations to make sure that money laundering is not happening. And when that's a manual process, it's really hard to validate compliance. When it's an automated process, when you've got case management guiding people through each of the individual steps, you're getting this automatic audit trail at the end of every case that says, here's who did it, 
Here's when it happened. Here are the systems that were used. So you can play back exactly how things worked. So I think, I think automation actually can help drive better compliance, better documentation of compliance. And then I, I, I also think that there's a, um, a real ability in moving towards agile, as you were saying, to get to more compliant systems, right? I think part of that is you know, using DevOps actually means that you're testing stuff in a much more regular way. The big danger of waterfall is you get to an end of a you know, multi-month project, then you go start testing it and you find everything that's broken. If you actually get a DevOps pipeline in place, you're testing every night. So you're finding problems before they happen. So when you do release code, you're releasing a smaller chunk and it's pretty fully tested so you can see your impact. Another place that, that, I, that is interesting to us is this use of what, what I would call uh, model-driven or low-code application development, right? So we're rolling out with Census Bureau right now the system that's going to drive a lot of the intake of census data, both from the web, but also the little mobile app that census takers are going to walk around with. And we're building that entirely in a low-code environment. And census found as they did their research that they could get to about 98% of all of their needs without writing a line of code. And here's why that's I think is important. One is it allows you to pull the business experts in, right? So that's you get your stakeholder involvement directly so you can really do that agile well. But the other thing is it means that your processes are self-documenting, right? Because the system of record for how I do this work is not a bunch of Java code that nobody can read. It's an actual diagram of the stages and steps of my business process. So I can click a button and say, you want to know how I work this? Here's how I work it. Here are the business rules. Here are the systems that get touched. And that, that ability to instantly document everything that you do, not only do you get results faster, but you get results that are compliant and documented. Let me just jump in before Harry. Uh, when you talk about building 90% of their needs without writing a line of code, so they're reusing code? So what are, how, how are they meeting their needs? Because from, from yeah. uh, go ahead, so, talk so to the, the, the whole The whole paradigm that we're seeing is if, and this is kind of a form of automation, right? If I, can, if I can get a business user to draw me out a business process or draw me out the stages of my case, right? The computer can actually, from that picture, automate the writing of the code. The computer can say, okay, this picture needs to have these code modules. I'm going to go automate generating it and actually running it for you. So now, instead of having to have somebody take the requirements that a business user might write and then manually type in the code that does it, I'm going directly from the business objective into the, into the code automatically. So what that means is when I design my business process, it's not just that I'm reusing code, although I may call services that already exist. I'm actually building my application completely visually. And that means I get much more stakeholder involvement from the business teams. That's how you actually get to the point that you can take somebody off the floor and say, hey, I'm going to train you on this visual tool because, you know, Jason, as you were saying, people are more technology savvy. They're willing to learn it. So if I can say, look, I'm going to train you on how to drag and drop your business process into this, I can actually get somebody who knows the business actively building the application that's going to drive it. Just uh, on that, Don, it's really uh, API lab library you may have, right? So, it's, so there's, most of it's automated, yep. but then as, uh, you know, from a business process re-engineering, and as you, you know, as you establish those workflows, yes. some you still may need to develop, right? Oh, and, and, and you and continue to build your And, and you need to library. connect up to the API, yeah. but a lot of the workflows that are sort of manually driven and involve like human screens, so I need to guide a user through these steps, or I need to have a business, business rules that need to run, I can do that visually. I can you know, give the user a decision table that they put in the criteria. I can give them a screen where they mock up what they want the user experience to be. And so, so the place where I need the technology is the data plugin that we talked about earlier, to plug into the APIs as my data sources, to pull that into the process, to drive the, the, the rules, and to drive the actual outcomes back into the legacy infrastructure. And what kind of applications are you developing? So, the I mean, so, I mean, so we're, doing, we're running the gamut with this, right? U.S. Census is running, building the application that's going to run the 2020 U.S. Census you know, on, on this technology. The check information system uh, that I mentioned, you know, the Veterans Affairs has got a system that manages all of their contracts and payments 
out. You know, you go larger than that, you look at somebody like JPMC who runs most of their treasury operations on systems that were built this way. American Express runs its customer service desktop on a system that is built this way. So this low code application development you know, it's not, a, it's not a vendor pipe dream. It's the way that businesses are starting to do a lot of this. And it's, it by itself is not a silver bullet, but its ability to pull your stakeholders even deeper into the application development cycle and really make them a part of the Agile team is a, is a game changer. Let me just put a finer point on this. So somebody, the, 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 the computer, if you will, or the, the robot is building the code. Yes. It's, it's Harry or I don't have to sit behind and, 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 and have Don tell me, okay, first I want point A to go to point yeah. B. Okay, write the code. Okay, now what? Yeah. So the user, as you said, is, is, is as they put the process in. Yeah, well, what you've basically done is you've taken, usually business analysts would write a requirements document, you hand that off, that gets coded. A couple months later, you see what it is, oh, that's not what I wanted, then you go back and forth, right? This is, well, I have my business analyst just draw my business process, hit a play and button, and then say, oh, that's what, is that what I want or is that not what I want? And because we're talking about Agile here, that modernization happens so much more quickly because you see it happen maybe in front of you or maybe the well, next day. But well, and This is this rapid prototyping you know, that Harry was speaking about earlier. It allows for this continuous playback. And a lot of what I think the modernization effort, especially in the, in, in the government needs to be about, is not just about ripping and replacing out the legacy systems but about building this agility layer that can sit on top of the legacy. And increasingly what we turn the legacy systems in is just to databases, big systems of record. And I, now I have my agility layer where I can build my automated processes that connect across and where I enable my agencies to start testing and innovating and playing with new ways of driving these processes, new ways of engaging constituents, et cetera. I think uh, just, just to add on to that, Don, you know, so there is, a so the mission function, yep. which your users are, and how do you automate and modernize that? Second is uh, for the users who are part of an enterprise organization, you know, how do you create something which defines their employee journey? Yep. Right, that's the, the third, second element. And the third one on our, uh, from an IT infrastructure, you know, we talked earlier about there are enough compliance and regulatory requirements, you know, and then certain guidance around it that you have to comply with. So that train itself is going to continue to evolve overall. But on, onto your buzzword, you do yeah. like that low code? I, so I, I, you know, the- AI, but not. <laughs> so so, so I, I, actually, I actually don't love the term low code because I, I, I feel like the, 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 the real goal of it is actually not, no code at all. Um, but the, we've been doing this kind of model-driven or visually-driven application design long before low code was a, a buzzword that kind of hit the market. And, and I really think it's fundamentally about changing the makeup of your agile teams so that you have much tighter collaboration between business and IT and you get to results that are meaningful for your stakeholders just a lot faster. That's really what this is about. And it's also talking about, you know, another piece of this is the repeatable side. Yeah. If, if you've done something once, there's somebody else somewhere is going to have that same challenge. Again, even if Bureau of Engraving Printing, you know, you guys deal with money, right? So what other agencies deal with money? Well, maybe the Mint, but they deal with coins and they're different. But do any, does any other agency? No, but your case management of, of the process of, of manufacturing, for instance, or even just the business process, Harry, are you, are you, is, is that, that's the other big benefit of this agile DevOps uh, approach. Yeah, I think, uh, uh, you know, overall, you know, as, we, as we're discussing, you know, the whole to the segment is really how do you leverage modernization automation for quicker delivery to be in compliant with regulatory requirements. So that's, uh, it's, it's really uh, an engagement, not only on the IT side, but also on the business side, right. you know, to drive the change forward and then uh, enable the, uh, the mission overall. And, and it takes, look, again, low, the model-driven technology by itself, right? I've seen organizations where the IT department takes it on and just uses it as a faster development tool, and at the end of the day, things don't change much, right? You've got to have agreement for the business that they have to take a stake in what their applications do and are going to actively participate. You have to have agreement from IT that there's going to be a little bit of release of control over to the business of parts of the application landscape. And it's only when you have that, that kind of agreed upon shift in understanding of our roles and the accountability that you actually drive not, not just 
some incremental improvements, but you actually start transforming how some of these agencies work. We're just about out of time. This has just been a great conversation. Don, let me just start with you. If, if there's one common mistake or one, one pothole that agencies should avoid as they go down this path of, of agile, DevOps, and, and, and really understanding the business side, what would it be? What would you recommend they avoid? Yeah, I, I, I think, I think the, the mistake that a lot of organizations make, especially in modernization, is starting from a system perspective rather than a process or a journey perspective, right? If I start from a system perspective, I inevitably lead to ripping in and out of big systems, right? Big high-risk projects, et cetera. If I start thinking about what's a process that I need to improve, what's a journey that I take a constituent on, or what's a process that my agency needs in order to deliver results like processing a claim, and I look at that from end to end and build my transformation around that, I actually get meaningful business outcomes and I can set myself up to wrapper my existing legacy in a much more agile and automated process. And, and then Harry, uh, take us home here. When we talk about the Bureau of Engraving Printing, if we have this conversation again a year from now, three years from now, where will you be on the IT modernization journey and where will automation you expect to play a role? Like, look forward a little bit. I think, yeah. You know, Jason, we had a conversation a, few, a couple of years ago, I think, or three years it's ago. Been a while. You got to come we, back on my show. Yeah, exactly. And then we talked about data analytics. So uh, that's there at BEP now. So user community is engaged and embraces data quality and data analysis. So where I see us heading is more on, not the artificial intelligence, but more on predictive analytics. You know, how do we really, again, we're going to continue to use data to make better decisions, but to really focus on prediction and usage of data. So not on sort of the react, we have, I think we are out of the react, reactory mode of the data. And on the modernization side, infrastructure side, continue to leverage cloud to, you know, OMB's federal cloud strategy. You know, there was a recent update. I think that was a major update in the last seven years. So we're going to continue to embrace cloud and move into, 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 that, into that direction. Well, first of all, let me uh, thank my, both my guests because this is all the time we have for today. Harry Singh is the Chief Information Officer at the Bureau of Engraving and Printing at the Treasury Department. Harry, thank you so much for your time. And Don Sherman is the Chief Technology Officer and Vice President of Product Marketing at PEGA. Don, thank you for your time. You've been listening to the Journey to Technology Modernization and Government, sponsored by PEGA Systems on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I've been your host, Jason Miller. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search PEGA. Thank you for listening to the panel discussion, The Journey to Technology Modernization in Government, sponsored by PEGA on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network.